Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, Tomorrow's Leaders, I've got a great guest for you today. This is a guy who did my custom desk that I just ordered. I'm going to see pictures on this if you're watching on YouTube. Unbelievable. I mean, this thing is amazing. But what drew me to David is his whole story. I mean, he runs a great business, actually multiple businesses. He's a leader of not just this company that makes furniture, but also in the biotech industry, a leader of a large organization. He's got a great partnership with his wife, Danny. And uh, I just, this is such a, a centered, authentic, real, and impactful person. And I just, uh, I love talking to him. Great, great things, great things that he shared, example stories. I think this is gonna be one of your favorite episodes. So here's David Duvall, enjoy. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader where we dive deep on all things leader related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I am John Laredo, your host, and I am thrilled to have David Duvall on our show here today. Uh, David, welcome to the show, appreciate you joining us. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Big fan of the show and excited to uh, participate. Well, thanks, man. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, and for the audience, uh, I met David through, and really just chance, I had been, um, when I moved here to Holly Springs, I had uh, been in the market for a desk and I wanted to get one custom made and uh, came across David's company. And um, I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm going to take pictures of this so the audience that's watching can see uh, can see the uh, can see the pictures. Uh, David and his team made the most unbelievable uh, custom desk out of a piece of pecan, and it is truly gorgeous. You'll see when you look at the pictures. So you and I got to talking. I was thrilled with what you did, and I loved hearing about your business, and I thought, wow, you'd be a great guest on this show. So again, thanks for joining. Yeah, awesome. Glad you love the desk. and. Uh... You know, I'll convince you to get a dining room table at some point. Well, I'm sure this is not my last purchase. This is the first <laughs> of many, so that's dangerous for me because <laughs> I can get to, uh, into the buying mode quickly. Uh, but hey, I, there's so much I, I'd love to talk to you about. Um, you know, and why don't we start with Duvall and Company? I mean, you've got a really cool, interesting story about how you got into this. It's a really unique business, and I honestly, I had searched for so long and. I didn't find many people that did what you did and certainly not of the caliber of what you did. So how did this whole thing start? Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, um, you know, it all started about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, probably uh, more information than you're asking, but um, it, it started with, I've, I've just, I've always done carpentry uh, through high school. My, my great grandfather was a furniture builder. Um, even after college, uh, you know, I was still building stuff for my own home. And um, a number of years back, uh, after my uh, now nine-year-old daughter was born, uh, we discovered when she was two months old that she was visually impaired. Uh, it was uh, obviously a very tough situation. And at the time, my wife and I were both working, uh, you know, both working in biotechnology. My wife was a pharmaceutical sales rep making good income. And then when we found out um, 
what happened with our daughter and that she was visually impaired. My wife said, literally at the drop of a hat, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm, qu- I'm done working. I quit. Um, literally without any notice. Uh, she's like, I'm, I'm not sending our, our daughter to, to preschool or to daycare. I'm staying home with her, which was a, a very brave move on her part. She had, um, gosh, she'd worked, she's worked so hard just, you know, creating this, um, this uh, career in pharmaceuticals to just give it up and say, that's it. I'm a mom. That's the most important thing. But when she did that, that it was a, uh, it was a massive pay cut for us uh, to lose an income like that. And so we were looking for additional ways to make income. We knew that I had always worked in carpentry and built furniture for our own home. And so my wife said, listen, why don't you just put an ad on Craigslist, build a build dining room tables during the evenings in the garage and, uh, and sell those, and that'll be a little extra income. So, uh, so that's how Duval and Company started. Um, you, know, we, I, you know, we always refer to ourselves as sort of accidental entrepreneurs. We never really intended to start a, a business or a company. Uh, I was just thinking making a couple of extra bucks here and there. Uh, but within a, a very short time frame, we realized there was just a really high demand for people that didn't want to go to, uh, you know, the, the big box retailers, the pottery barns of the store, the restoration hardwares of the world. And so within a couple of years, we, next thing you know, had a big social media fan base. Um, we work now on about a six month waiting list for, for furniture pieces. Uh, we've got a, a 4,000 square foot shop, you know, uh, four full-time employees, uh, uh, in-house designer. And, um, and now we've even been featured on HGTV multiple times, working with the Property Brothers and um, and Hillary Farr, who's the main designer on Love It or List It. Uh, we're actually building a table for her personal home. So wow, uh, it's it kind of grew uh, out of control, unexpected. Well, I, I, first of all, I love that story and what a really cool uh, start to it. You know, you're out of your garage. You start with was the first piece of furniture was a dining room table. Yeah, it was just a, it was a simple farmhouse dining room table. And it was on Craigslist. Is that how you, uh, you saw yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. We just put it on Craigslist and, uh, next thing you know, just started getting calls every day, but it was, um, I tell you, it, it was, I think what was most fun about it was that it, it allowed us to do other things that we're, we were passionate about our very first year considering the reason we started it was, was because of what had happened with our daughter. Uh, we said, you know what, we're, we're doing okay. We're financially in a good spot. Let's use this to, to support things that are important to us. So, uh, it, it made, uh, it gave us an opportunity to do a charitable component to do and company. And every single year now, uh, we donate a, a portion of our profits and our revenues to different charities. Uh, the very first one being the school for the blind, uh, in Raleigh. Uh, we worked very, very closely with them, uh, with our daughter, um, and it's just grown from then. We'll ask our, our customers and our clients, hey, what, what it, what's near and dear to your heart? And um, everything from the, the Frankie Lemon Foundation to uh, the Pretty in Pink Foundation, which helps uh, women with breast cancer who can't afford treatment. Um, most recently, we, we gave uh, a good bit of money to uh, the local soup kitchen, um, the, the pantry. To, to help people who uh, couldn't afford food. So it's, wow. it's, it's allowed us to not only make a good living for ourselves, but support some charities that are important to us. That's amazing. Uh, you know, and I, uh, that's not number one, it's, it's got to feel great to be able to do that. Um, but it sounds like you did it, you know, a lot of businesses, especially growing businesses are not necessarily in the financial position 
to necessarily do that early in those few first few years. Uh, so that's tremendous that you did it. That's obviously very important to you. And, and to take the input from your clients, your customers, too, uh, that says a lot. I mean, that's got to give them a great feeling, too, about your organization and, you know, even extra impact that they have. Yeah, I hope so. I hope, yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I hope people find out about it and let us know uh, what, you know, we always we always ask our clients, you know, is there is there a charity that you like? You know, we, we like I said, we're always looking for for good charities that we feel like have a good mission and are, and are helping people. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're fortunate that we're in a situation to be able to do that. That's great. Well, so let's talk about the business. So you grew, obviously, over these last 10 years. Um, and I, I'd love to ask you a bunch of questions uh, that that are interesting uh, just about any business going through that type of growth in those early years. You know, and you and I were talking about the fact that there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, craftsmen. There's a lot of people in all kinds of industries that are really great at creating a product or a service. But and you see this a lot of times, they ultimately don't succeed because they don't have the entrepreneurial skills. They don't have the leadership skills. What does that mean to you? What were some of the things that you feel that really have contributed to the growth and not just the quality of what you do, but what did you have to do from an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial standpoint? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I would say, I think one of the first things I did was just, I made a lot of mistakes, uh, you know, and, and fortunately none of the mistakes were so detrimental that it, it led to the, uh, the demise of the org, of the company. But, um, you know, you learn from absolutely everything you do. And my, my wife to this day still makes fun of me. We were trying to figure out, well, how can we get the word out there? How can we have more people find out about Duval and Company? And uh, I was traveling a lot at the time, uh, always on airplanes, always re- flipping through magazines. And I said, that's it. That's it. We, we need to advertise in, you know, the, the Delta Airlines magazine because those people have money and they fly and, and they're going to buy furniture. And what never occurred to me is, number one, um, Print has never done a lot for our for, for the furniture business uh, as far as print marketing. Uh, number two, those pi- those people are from all over the place, and we were at the time a small you know little company in North Carolina. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do if somebody in Oregon or Idaho or California buys a table? How in the world am I going to get it there? And then just the pure cost of it. I mean, we were a company that was at the time probably only doing a hundred thousand in sales every year, and uh, I think the airline wanted a uh, something close to 15 or $20,000 to put in their airline magazine. Wow. Uh, fortunately, my wife talked some sense into me and, and said, you're absolutely out of your mind. If you think people are going to shop for a dining room table while they're sitting on an airplane, uh, it was a good point, but you so know, you that, didn't, so uh, you didn't do that. <laughs> we did not do yeah. it. My wife talked yeah. some sense into me. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things I think that impacted our company and, and sort of the direction that we go was, uh, read a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Mm. Great book about entrepreneurialism. And, you know, the one thing he talks about in that book is that um, just by understanding the product that is made by a company, people often think they understand the company that makes the product. Um, and that's inherently wrong. Um, the example he uses in the book is a, about a girl named Sally who uh, absolutely loves making pies and all of our friends said, wow, you should open a pie business. And he points out that, that therein lies the problem. Sally's friends lied to her. If you want to make the best pies, then go work for a company that makes pies. If you want to be an entrepreneur, then you got to figure out how to make a successful company. 
And I think reading that book a few years ago is where um, the switch kind of went on for me mm-hmm. that I realized uh, Duval and company is not really about making the most amazing custom furniture we are, but really as the owner and as the entrepreneur, my goal is really just to make an amazing company to, uh, you know, to, to work very closely with my clients and make sure they're happy to work very closely with my employees and, and lead them in a way and train them in a way that, that they want to grow in the organization and they want to be successful. And if we do all of that well, then the end product being the, the pecan desk or, a, uh, or a, an amazing dining room table sort of comes along with it. Um, you know, an amazing product comes from an amazing company. Uh, and that, has, uh, that is what I've learned um, through this process. That's amazing. I love, I love that quote, make an amazing company. And there's so many, there's so many organizations that you're, you're right. They're focused so much on the product and not thinking it because there's a lot of things that, uh, that small business owners deal with. Okay. How do I scale this business? How do I know when to bring people in and what people do I bring in and what am I going to have them do? And they, they forget about building the right culture. You know, that's one of those things that attracts top people to your organization and also, you know, makes drives the engine, you know, makes the engine uh, run. What is, when you think about a culture of your organization and what, what's important to you about that culture, what does it look like or feel like? You know, it's a, it's a culture of, um, you know, it's inclusivity. It's, um, I, I think it's a very open, um, environment, especially in the shop. You know, I, it's, it's sort of funny that I always considered myself to be such a good carpenter and such a good craftsman. And, um, having owned this company for years now, I have met guys and hired guys and I realized I'm not as good as I thought I was. Um, so then I needed to start looking more in depth of saying, okay, well, what am I good at? And where are my deficiencies and where can I bring people on uh, in that can compensate for the things that I'm not good at? And I have been fortunate that I have um, really just met some amazing craftsmen and and I make sure that they understand, listen, yes, I, you know, um, my wife and I own this business. We run this business, but it's not going to be successful if it's not the best product. It is my job to make the company uh, amazing. It is your job to make sure that uh, what we are putting out is amazing. And uh, my guys know if, if if there is a tool that will make the product better, if there is a, a process change that will make the product better, if there's something we can do differently that will make our clients um, happier and more pleased with the product, that we have, uh, it's an open policy. You come to us and you talk about, hey, here's what we can do. Here's what's going to make us better as a company. Here's what's going to make our product better. Um, let me know and we'll do it. Um, so, you, you know, I, uh, yeah. every company goes through situations where people will come in and people will leave. And uh, we uh, had a gentleman years ago that ended up leaving the company. And it was, it was a shame because he would complain, well, we don't have this tool and we don't have that tool. And uh, another person in the company said, why do you always complain about what we don't have? If we don't have it and we need it, then go to David and tell him, this is what we need and we don't have. 
if it makes sense, he's never said no. Um, you know, and, and it, it led to, it, I think it reflected more on that individual. It led to his, him no longer being with the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, the person that replaced him came in and says, okay, here's what he said we need. Hmm. We need this. And I yeah. said, perfect. Let's wow. get it. If it makes the product better and the company better, let's do it. And that's so important. I, I respect that so much in companies where they're really tapping into the brain power of the people that are in that organization. You know, what I hear you describing is you've built an environment, a culture that is very open, that people have ownership. So it's not, you know, they feel like they've got a part of the company, whether they, you know, physically or uh, literally do or not, they still feel this sense of, okay, if there's something I can do or an idea that's going to make the company better, I'm going to say it. And that's what you've consciously built. And it sounds like you've talked about it. You've said, hey, here's what I want, which a lot of leaders, they forget the importance of talking about, hey, here's what I want to see. Here's the environment. Here's when I know this place is really humming when we have this type of stuff happening and and then catching people doing something right and rewarding them on that. So it sounds like you've done that and that's the culture is just naturally now, you know, people giving ideas and thoughts. It, it definitely is. I will say it's um, a lot of it has come from my wife who, who owns the company with me. And, and, you know, she constantly reminds me if I'm, if I'm maybe not being the leader that I want to be uh, or that I think myself to be, uh, you know, she'll point it out. She'll say, Hey, listen, you know, when's the last time you, you, you know, grabbed a, you know, a case of beer and stopped at the shop uh, at five o'clock on a Friday when the guys are cleaning up and just sat down with them and, and had a beer and talked about how the company is going. It's, and, and how the projects are going. That That's the one thing that I think I do that, um, that the guys at our shop appreciate is the fact that uh, I'm sort of an open book with them. Um, they know how we're doing. They, they know, um, you know, what projects are coming up. They know if, if I, if we come up with a new idea of uh, a different vertical where we could possibly diversify the company and, and move into another area of, of furniture or sales or supplying, I talk to them about it and say, well, what are your thoughts on this? Is this something where you could see this being successful? And I think they appreciate it. I've, I've, I think companies that don't succeed are the kind of companies that you walk into. And if you, pull somebody aside and you say, well, Hey, how does this happen in this company? And they say, I don't know. The, the, the boss does that or the it's owner not does my that. job. Yeah. Right. Not my job. That's the kind of company that I think is, is, is destined to fail. Uh, and I hope that that's not Duval and company. I hope that you can walk in and ask a question of how does this happen or who does this? Yeah. And they'll always have an answer of, of knowing who does what and how things get to from point A to point B. Yeah. So uh, I I love that. You know, you're talking about transparency and and inclusivity. I mean, you really you're letting them into the tent so to speak and and hey, here's how this company works and operates and here's how we're doing. And there may be some listeners that are saying, "Okay, well that that's sounds manageable for a smaller size company, but I'm running a larger one or a division." What's great about you is uh which we haven't talked about, but I'd love to is you have two roles, you know, you're right. Well, obviously you've built uh, along with Danny and I want to talk about your partnership as well too. So I want to come back to that, but um, you know, you've built that, but you've now you're also uh, you are the area director and commercial lead for Hologic, which is a biotech firm. And you lead a very large organization in that. 
Uh, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about that role? And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on, are you as transparent in that role? Or, I mean, are you bringing that big of a team into the tent, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny. It, it, it's, it's people often find it uh, a little odd. It's certainly um, kind of dichotomous between working in science and biotech and then, you know, working as a carpenter. Uh, there are very different roles. But, um, yeah, what I've realized is that all business, I think, in general is, is small business, whether it's, uh, you know, an antique store on, you know, Main Street in small town America, or it's a, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, biotech uh, firm. It, it's really all about uh, individual relationships and with not just with your clients, but with your employees, with your, with your executive teams. It's all about making these small connections with people uh, that makes the business go around. Now, yeah, in my in my biotech life, I, it's you know my team's a, a little bit larger, around thirty people um, that that come up through my uh, that operate through my my part of the organization. And uh, yeah, it it is a very uh, inclusive uh, way of leadership there as well. It's a it's a different business, but everybody's going to have input on how things are done. Um, you know, and, and things that would make us more successful. It's the same in, in the furniture world with my, my craftsmen and my carpenters saying, hey, this is going to make our product better. And it's the same thing in the biotech world of what can we do to be more successful, to be um, a better partner with our, with our medical practices uh, that we work with and, and ultimately how can we, you know, succeed together. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I love that. And so in that, what, what's the biggest leadership challenge or difference, I guess, with an organization like, like that, uh, like Cologic and with Duvall and company, I mean, are there different kind of leadership skills that you've had to really develop in order to lead one versus the other? Yeah, sure. It's, you know, it's, um, I'm fortunate that in my career, I have been, um, surrounded by some pretty amazing leaders. Um, and I've been able to, to to learn from them and pull from their skill sets. I've I've also had some people that I would probably say were not the best leaders, uh, and I've learned from them as well of, of, of approaches and things I want to avoid. There's always going to be some differences when you're dealing with a, a large publicly traded company. Uh, as far as transparency, how how transparent can you be? You know, when you're talking and, and looking about looking at things with uh, you know acquisitions of other biotech companies. You know, there's only you know, so much you can share with, um, you know, uh, people at different levels of the organization. Uh, but, um, but generally speaking, yeah, I, 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 I can't say people skill wise, there's a lot of differences, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's the, the people skills exist, uh, in every business and whether it's furniture or biotech, you know, you've got to be able to, mm -hmm. uh, to have a, um, a one-on-one -on -one conversation I, I think of it as, um, you know, you've probably heard the, 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 the saying that uh, every decision is an emotional decision. You know, people decide emotionally and they justify it logically. Um, and and I, I had a boss years ago, it was funny, in biotech that he, he was the perfect example. Every, every uh, couple of years, he would buy a brand new Range Rover, you know, this $120,000 car. Totally an emotional decision, obviously. Uh, not that there's not good logical reasons, but I, I've yet to find one. So, you know, one day I said to him, I, his name was Steve. I said, Steve, I, I gotta, 
I got to wonder, like, why is it that you every two years are dropping $120,000 on a brand new Range Rover? And he lives in, in Texas and he says, well, David, you don't get it. He's like, first off, I've got two kids, two dogs and a wife. And every time we go to our house up in Vail, you know, I've got to get everybody into the car. We've got to get to Vail. And when you get up there, there is nothing that's going to plow through three feet of snow like a Range Rover. And I said, okay, yeah, you know, except maybe like a Jeep Cherokee or something like that. But the point is, he took this emotional purchase of this $120,000 car, and he can now logically justify why he has to have this car. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've discovered it's like that with everything. Uh, every decision that we make, and whether it's in biotech with the people that report to me, whether it's people that I'm trying to you know, lead laterally or even leading, um, you know, uh, from above, every decision is going to be an emotional decision. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're all going to justify logically why we make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's really about finding, okay, well, where's this person coming from? Mm -hmm. What is their, what is their, their emotional draw or their emotional connection to make the decisions that they make? Um, I've got a, a, a guy that, that, um, that I work with in biotech that he was telling me he and his wife took these tests on, um, on how empathetic they were. His wife is a, is a registered nurse and as expected, she ranked off the charts, like one of the most empathetic people in the world. Obviously she has to be, I mean, she's obviously sacrifices of herself being a nurse. Um, and the guy that I work with, I joked that he he was so low on the scale. I'm like, I don't know if they can give you an asshole rating, but they basically said, you're an asshole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we joked about it. And, and he said to me, he goes, you know, you strike me as a, a very empathetic person. And I said, well, everybody kind of goes through stages in life. They um, what happens to them throughout their life makes them who they are. And had I taken an, an empathy test, you know, 15 years ago. I probably would have been one of the biggest jerks on the planet. Um, but over 15 years of, of just everything that happens in life, having kids, um, having a child with a disability, uh, you know, watching my parents get older. My, my dad has uh, Parkinson's disease, so I help care for him. But all of that has sort of changed my outlook on life, um, you know, and realize everybody deals with, with different things in life. Everybody deals with different situations. Um, and far be it for me to judge, you know, someone on their worst day, uh, you know, because you just never know what's happening in their lives. And that sort of uh, background, I think, in viewpoint uh, with how I how I sort of view the world uh, doesn't change, whether it's in furniture building, whether it's in biotech or whether it's just in my personal life every day. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the perspective I have, I get a chance to work with leaders in all different industries. And I, I've worked with and seen some of the best. Um, and like you, I've seen and worked with very poor ones, terrible ones. Uh, and the one, one, of the one of the very common, consistent traits in the top leaders is empathy for sure. I mean, and, and I see that no matter, I see it, it, it shows up differently in different businesses and whatnot, but inevitably, and even the people that I ask, Hey, who was the most influential person in your life? 
when they describe them, there's a level of empathy uh, that that person had. Um, and so especially in the times that we're in and we've gone through recently, you know, people are drawn to those leaders uh, that really are empathetic and understand other people's perspectives and want to understand other people's thoughts and emotions and what's going on and, you know, what's yeah. happening in your world um, and can really understand, can really appreciate that. So, you know, I've, uh, one of my favorite questions when I'm uh, interviewing candidates um, for, for either role is, I mean, obviously you're going to have the questions of, uh, you know, describe the situation and how did you handle it? And, you know, what was the, the actions you took and the eventual result? But I always want to just sort of get to know who they are as, as people. And so the one question I always ask them is, you know, in John, in your case, I'd say, well, John, what makes John Lurito specifically John Lurito, like, what is it in your life that has brought you to where you are now? Is it, you know, it, it, everything that happens in life makes you who you are. Um, and I love to learn that about people when I'm interviewing them, just to see, number one, I, I just, I want to hear their stories. I want to know about them and, and hear sort of what makes them tick and what's made them who they are. And also, I just kind of want to see, uh, are they going to be real? Are they going to, are they going to be honest? Or are they going to tell me about their, you know, professional accolades. Oh, I, I won this president's club award and this circle of excellence trip. And that makes me who I am. Um, and if that's the case, then I actually find that sad <laughs> yeah, exactly. that someone would hang their hat on that. Yeah. But I've heard some just amazing stories, um, yeah. interviewing people about just, you know, their, their upbringings and, you know, their parents being entrepreneurs and seeing, you know, they were first generation Americans and watching their parents, struggle or just i just heard some absolutely amazing stories um and that's usually one of my biggest uh keys when i hire people is who are they like who are like what motivates them who are they what kind of person are they yeah um and i feel like that's how you learn that is by asking yeah you're absolutely right and there's so much there and i I, i'm thinking when you're telling me you know you 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 also look for those answers that are kind of the canned answers that there's so many people especially in the interview situation that they're not being authentic and whether it's just that situation or in general they're not very authentic people but um let me ask you what might be a tough question i don't know but what do you consider to be your mission your purpose as a leader or as a person yeah, I, you know, I, I think more than anything, my, my mission as a person is just to make sure I raise uh, happy children. <laughs> you know, I've got my wife and I have four kids and, and they're the most important thing in my life is, is making sure that they grow up and they're safe and they're happy and that they have opportunities, um, you know, and that they understand that, that they can do whatever they want. Uh, you know, that mom and I are accepting of them and we'll do, you know, if they have a dream and they want to achieve it, uh, we'll do what we can do uh, to make sure that they're, you know, heading down the right path doing that. Mm-hmm. Professionally, you know, I, I think more than anything, I, you know, my goal is to be strategic when I look at an organization. Um, you know, it's important for me to understand what an organization wants to achieve. Um, You know, I was having a conversation with one of our executives the other day, and I said, I I feel like we really need a uh, sort of a North Star by which all of our decisions are judged. Um, You know, if if your North Star is, you know, in the biotech world of 
well, we want our patients to, to ask for this diagnostic test, you know, to be run on this, on their, on this patient. Then if that's your North star, everything you do should be measured against that. You know, I, I, there's so many people I see that are um, in the corporate world that are afraid of the brutal truth. You know, they'll say, well, I've got this great idea, this marketing idea, and it's only going to cost us a couple million dollars to do it. And everybody wants to say, yeah, that's a good idea. But everybody in the room knows it's an awful idea and nobody and everybody's afraid to say it. And I think um, the brutal truth sometimes is just it's so important to get that out there and say, hey, listen, I appreciate the idea. I'm glad you shared it. But let's let's put that up against our measures, our measuring stick. Mm -hmm. This is our North Star. Is that initiative mm -hmm. going to impact what our ultimate mission, what our ultimate goal is? And if the answer is no, then you move away from it. Um, and I think that's one thing I've been able to do in, in the corporate environment. It's just to, to sort of refocus an organization and, and sort of look out at different things. Um, you know, a, a great example of that was when the pandemic struck, uh, you know, we have salespeople in our organization that all of a sudden said, I can't work. Um, biotech companies were laying salespeople off left and right. Um, they said, I can't, uh, you know, I can't um, get in to see offices or, you know, that we're talking about oncology offices and these patients have cancer. And they said the last thing they want is somebody walking into a, an oncology office in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, offices were pretty much shut down. And uh, I think what I was most proud of is that we looked at the situation, we stepped back and we very quickly pivoted and said, well, how can we do our business differently? How can we provide support to these doctors? How can we let them know what tools they have available in a safe environment? And, um, you know, it's funny that you and I are talking over Zoom. Uh, a year and a half ago when this all first happened, uh, my organization was probably one of the first that immediately pivoted and switched to Zoom interactions. We, we started hosting dinner programs at night and we looked for ways of, well, how can we not only help these, uh, these doctors and these providers by giving information, how can we also help small business that's struggling? And so we said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna talk to these doctors and we're gonna say, hey, pick your favorite local restaurant. What's a restaurant that you love? What's a restaurant that you feel is struggling? Give us their information, do us a favor, call and order food, have it sent to your home. We'll take care of the bill, hop on Zoom at 6.30, we can have a good meal. You can support a small business there in your, in your town. Uh, and we can have a nice clinical discussion uh, and make sure that you have all the information you need so that you are making the smartest medical decisions to treat your patients. Mm. Um, it, you know, what started as an idea that we thought, ah, maybe somebody might do this, turned into an idea where we ended up speaking in the first couple of months of the pandemic probably spoke to over a thousand doctors across the country wow. uh, when they realized, wait a second, I, I can do this. They were, they didn't even really know what zoom was. We were having to teach them. Of course, now they have zoom fatigue and everybody's trying to get off of it. But, yeah, yeah. but back then they didn't even know what it was and we were teaching them how to use it and we shifted and pivoted. And I think what I was most proud of is in that process uh, as a biotech company, when they were, when most biotech companies were laying people off left and right because of the pandemic, uh, we did not lose a single person. Uh, we kept every single one of our people employed, wow. uh, and actually had a banner year set, broke every, uh, every sales record that we'd ever set, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Wow. That's incredible, man. That is, uh, that is tremendous leadership. 
you know, and that's, that's what it's about. You know, it's about, it's about looking at the situation. It's leadership adaptability and versatility and understanding the changing world around you and being able and willing to pivot and not just as a leader, but to take your whole organization in that direction. And that's, that's tough. I mean, you think about it, there were so many businesses and, and business owners and entrepreneurs and leaders that just froze. And, 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 and some of them even said that, Hey, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to make any decisions until we the dust settles and we figure this whole pandemic thing. And then before you know it, they were struggling or out of business. And uh, yeah. you know, so part of leadership is knowing time is of the essence. You've got certain things that may look like a uh, a disaster, which is certainly in some res- many respects was, but also presented an opportunity. And now, so now is this once we're out of the pandemic, will you stick with the Zoom? Uh, method or to a degree keep that or go back to in person? That's a great question. Um, you know, we have uh, we have started picking up some in person. I think it's important um, to sort of let the, the client steer that ship and what they are most comfortable with. Yeah. Um, we have definitely started doing a little bit more in person meetings uh, at this point, you know, as as, as people are getting vaccinated and, and doors are starting to open back up. I think people miss the sort of that human touch component of it. Um, so we have definitely started picking that back up. But I tell you, there's a lot of people that said, you know, I, I, I kind of like this. I like uh, at the end of an evening, not having to, to go to a, another meeting or go to a restaurant or meet people. I can go home, spend, you know, 45 minutes on Zoom, have a nice meal and, and spend time with my family. And, and not have to, to be out away from my kids and away from my spouse. Yeah. So it's definitely going to be a hybrid model, I think, moving forward. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't, it's, it's definitely not going to be all one right. uh, or the other. But it's opened up another channel of doing things, another way of doing things that you wouldn't have had before. Uh, so, and I find a lot of businesses now have that as well. I, I came from financial services and the concept of doing meetings to talk about financial, financial planning was uh, doing it over on, on zoom was, was not popular or even entertained by a lot of people. And now that's second nature. Most clients would prefer that even after the pandemic. So you've got a lot of industries that have totally shifted the way their whole business model, you know, the way that they've done things, uh, the smart ones have. Um, well, you know, this is a great example because how often, uh, you know, on podcasts where even the podcasts were done in person in a room and now here, here you and I are yeah. talking over Zoom. Well, it's so funny because I started this podcast um, when I launched my business, which was February of last of 2020 before the pandemic. Crazy time. You and I were talking Perfect about timing, it. right? Yeah. So I had that. That's exactly right. My vision was, okay, well, I'm going to have a podcast studio, which I had in my place in Boston, which was kind of a, a makeshift one. And and my potential guest list was only people that could be within you know driving distance of it. Mm-hmm. And then when this happened, I'm like, how am I going to do these things over Zoom? And are people going to like them? And is it going to work as well? And what's the sound going to be like? And all this stuff. And now, you know, I can I can have guests, which I have, you know, that are on the West Coast or even, you know, anywhere, really anywhere in the world. So it's kind of uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's hit every industry, including. Podcasts. That's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, I have a, a very dear friend who was uh, uh, he was an entre- entrepreneur for years and had um, started. He was dealing with just international uh, importation and, and things and. 
he, he told me an analogy that his father taught him uh, and that he teaches his son. And now I talk to my kids about it. And it's, it's about life on the elevator. Uh, and maybe you've heard this, but he says, you know, you're thinking of the whole North Star idea. He says, let's say your goal is to be the head of thoracic surgery for Johns Hopkins, you know. Well, if you're looking at a high rise, that that ultimate goal is the penthouse. That's that's where you want to get. And he says to his son, and I've said these now with my boys and, and my daughters is, well, as long as you keep making really smart decisions, you know, you do well in school, you study, you you work hard, you get to stay on that elevator. Um, the second you make a poor decision, you have to get off the elevator and take the stairs. Uh, you know, maybe you fail a test, maybe you skip school, maybe you, you know, do something you shouldn't be doing. Well, doesn't mean you're never going to reach that goal of being the head of thoracic surgery at Johns Hopkins, but it sure is going to take you a hell of a lot longer if you're taking the stairs. Uh, so as long as you keep making the right decisions, you yeah. can stay on the elevator. And um, yeah. that's what I try to do. And that's what I try to instill in my, in my kids as well um, yeah. is to do that. that. I love that. I love it. So let me go back to one one thing I had a question on. Uh, you and you had mentioned spouse. You and your wife, Danny, have, have partnered. You really have what I think is a great partnership with uh, Duvall and Company business. Obviously, I'm sure life as well in general. Share with us what, what is that partnership? Why is it valuable? What's most valuable? You shared a couple of examples that I picked up on, but what do you get from that partnership together? Well, that's a great question. Um, One of the things I personally get from it is um, I get to see my wife and her element. You know, I get to see her shine, which is just really, really gratifying. You know, it's so often you you see couples and, and, you know, the spouse, you know, your spouse works, but you don't know a lot about their job. You don't know a lot about what they do. You know, and with Duval and company, I, my wife and I are both so, so ingrained in it um, that we, we get to see what each other does. And, and we also have realized, okay, back to the whole thing of finding people that are, you know, can handle things that you're not so good at, where are your deficiencies? Well, fortunately, my wife is really good at some things. Um, the, she, has a, she, is, uh, she has her own interior design business in addition to Duval and company. So she's got a great eye for design proportion. She uh, is really good at just the social media component and understanding it. She's really dove. She dove in and taught herself and learned a lot. I mean, when you stuff that to me is just overwhelming when she goes, oh, well, you know, you've got to get on Instagram and you have to post it this time of the day and this many posts and these have to be the hashtags and, you know, you know, no more than, you know, 10,000 hashtags on this. I mean, it's, it is overwhelming and the mere thought of it makes my brain hurt. Yeah. Um, but that's my wife's element. She gets in that and she comes up with ideas with, even just with our, with our customer service, with sending pictures, actually, uh, you know, John, you're a great example. Um, for those who are watching and listening, you know, John had ordered a desk. He ordered a black walnut desk, which is really a, a beautiful wood. And my wife has said, communicate with your clients. If you find something amazing, let them know. And so I was out uh, what I call slab hunting, looking for amazing pieces of wood. And I found this amazing piece of wood. And John, you, you remember this. I snapped a picture of this hunk of, of wood and I sent it to, to you. And I said, John, 
I don't know if I'm ever going to see this again. It's this ma- amazing piece of pecan. Um, you know, any chance you want to switch this up and move away from walnut and go to pecan and they're just very, very different woods. And, uh, and that's something that my wife has taught me. Like, don't always just stick with, you know, this person asked for this, do this. She's like, involve the client. They want to be involved. That's why they're coming to us, you know, make it, it's not just about buying a piece of furniture. It's really about an experience. Yeah. Um, I learned that from, from my wife and just watching her grow in this company and, and take on so much has really been, um, it's been amazing for me. And, uh, more importantly than that, it's amazing for my kids. I, I love that. That is the example that my kids see. I want my, my girls to see a, a strong woman, a woman that, you know, is in charge and makes decisions and, and, and at the same time is just an amazing mom and cuddles in bed at night and reads books to them, you know, that mom really can do all. And I, I want that to be the example that, that my girls see. And not only my girls, that my, that my boys see. I want them to see, uh, wow, that's what I want when I get old. I need to find someone like mom that is confident, that knows what she wants. Um, it. It's really awesome. And then as far as just the... the the work relationship, I will tell you, it's, and this is very difficult, but we make a concerted effort to not talk about Duval and Company uh, because it can certainly be all-consuming at times. Uh, when we have private time, just the two of us, and we start talking about, well, what are some other directions we can take the company? And we, we really do make an effort to not do that. You know, we, we schedule our date nights and we, you know, make a pact up front. We do not talk about Duval and Company. It's just about hanging out, enjoying our time together, spending time together, and not talking business, um, which I will tell you is tough. <laughs> I would <laughs> but, imagine, uh, yeah, because you're passionate. I know, you know, and, and, and your story about reaching out to me. I, from my perspective, I appreciated that so much because, and I could sense your excitement about this piece, and I'm, I'm, absolutely thrilled with this desk and I'm sure I would have been thrilled with the walnut too but it did say a lot about you and and it said it's not just this turnkey business it's a business that's built on this passion for what you do and I I just that was what struck me that day and I again I you remember I was like hey I don't I don't know I I mean I'm going to I'm going to take your advice from what you ever whatever you think that looks like like this is great it's unique and um it really said a lot. Uh, so I appreciate that. And I, I love, you know, you are, you are such a centered person and balanced person. I love the fact, you know, as you're describing your leadership, Danny's leadership, the companies that you run, um, your partnership together. I mean, I think you got a lot of listeners out there that are like, wow. Uh, you know, and I'm sure you've had your, your, your downs, but you've had uh, tremendous success and not just uh, professionally, but it sounds like personally as well. And, uh, just, you know, kudos to you. There's not enough people out there like you. So it's great. Well, thanks. Yeah. And then you bring up a good point. I, I, you know, I, obviously everybody likes to remember the good, you know, but there's definitely in every company, there's always going to be disagreements and struggles. And, you know, it's really just about, I think being open-minded and being willing to listen to the other person because, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I if I said there weren't definitely some 
some disagreements and some heated discussions at times, but, uh, yeah, that's sometimes where the best ideas come from. Absolutely. Well, I know we're, we're at the end of our time here. It's been absolutely phenomenal. And in a minute, I'll ask you for some, any parting advice to the listeners, but, um, if people want to learn more about you, learn more about the company, um, what can they do? Where can they go? Sure. Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, they can um, go to duvalco.com. It's D-U-V-A-L-L-C-O.com. Uh, that's our website. Uh, that'll tell you really just about everything you want to know, as well as you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook or uh, any of the major social media channels. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear from any of your any of your listeners, and, and we'd love to work with uh, work with any of them. And actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the tables on you, John, because you know, I think. You know, you do such a great job of interviewing people and having these conversations. I'm wondering how much do people really know about you? So I said one of my favorite questions to ask in an interview is what makes you you? Um, so let's turn the tables, everybody. Let's let's ask John. John, what makes you you? What makes uh, what makes you uniquely you? What has brought you to this point in life? That's great. That's such a great question. I, you know, <clears throat> I... Um... I've been very lucky to be influenced by some great, great people. And I somehow really became aware of, wow, this whole thing where somebody can say something, do something, it impacts me. And then I have a different attitude and it impacts other people. And then there's this big ripple effect. I think when I was in high school is when I was first like kind of connected the dots. I'm like, wow, I didn't know what, I didn't know it was leadership. I didn't know really about that. I just knew that's pretty amazing that people can leave you better than they found you. And um, I just been on this life's mission to do the same, you know, leave people better than I found them. And as I learned to be a better leader and influencer of other people and also myself, I said, you know what? I think I can help other people do the same and become better leaders and influencers. And as we've talked about, it's not just business, it's life in general. So I think that's what makes me, me, people. You know, I, I just I love, love people. And I love that. Helping them leave, be better. Leave people better than you found them. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. There is awesome. always, there, there's people that do that so well, and I've always admired that. So I hope if I have a, a fraction of the ability that some of the top people I've seen do that, I'm, I'll be happy. I think you, I think you definitely are doing that. Thank That's you. awesome. Thank you, my friend. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I've loved this. I, I really, truly have. You know, it's this for me is it's me getting a chance to learn and share some stuff from great leaders. Um, and you have shared so many great nuggets. So we'll have uh, a lot of info in the show notes and everything. And people can reach out to you. We'll put the links in there and stuff like that. And I'll put the pictures of this desk because I know a lot of people are going to be wondering what it looks like. So they'll be awesome. excited. So excellent. Great. Well, thanks again, David. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us today. Uh, this has been another episode of tomorrow's leader. Make sure you uh, like subscribe, share all that kind of good stuff. Go down below, give a five-star review. Of course, greatly appreciate your reviews as well as your future, your suggestions for future guests and also future topics. In the meantime, have a great one. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P dot com. Thanks. Lead on.